Hey, this morning, we're not going to be in the book of Romans. If you're a visitor, we, we normally go several passages at a time, going chapter by chapter, book by book. We believe it forces us to teach the entire counsel of God. Uh, but you often hear, and, and I wrestle through this, but you'll hear often some pastors in certain areas say, I, I don't preach the things that are offensive to the culture because it's such a lost culture. And what breaks my heart about it is that um, therefore, we are afraid to use Scripture because we're afraid to offend people, which that, then for we give them partial knowledge of who God is. And I always think back to Scripture. What if Jesus was like, I'm not going to tell them the truth because I don't want to offend them? What if Paul was like, I'm not going to preach the whole thing because it might scare some of them off? No, these guys were preaching in the hardest cold. I mean, they were having their heads chopped off for preaching truth. Therefore, I don't buy when pastors say, I can't preach that stuff where, where I live because it's going to be too offensive and run them off. I don't buy it. And it breaks my heart. So that's why if you're a visitor, we, we go through entire books because it forces me as a pastor to teach the entire counsel of God. We're going to take a break, though. And we're going to start tomorrow, and you'll have a challenge, and I'm going to teach you this today. I want to challenge all of us, the entire staff, the entire deacons, elders, teachers, church body, to start fasting for 21 days tomorrow. I know what some of you are thinking, I can see it and I feel it. What am I supposed to do when the national game comes? I got to have wings, I got to have, you can fill in the list. Now, I'm not going to be a legalist about it. It's totally fine. You can do what you wish. But my desire for fasting is for all of us as united people to seek the heart of God. I'm not going to be a legalist about it, but, but there's, there's no denying the truth of Scripture and what we see fasting actually produce when people actually do it. And, you know, let me just tell you, I, I get it. I, I, I eat when I'm bored. I love to eat. I eat when I'm bored. There's sometimes, like, there's a good basketball game on, 3 o'clock on a Saturday. And I'm like, this game will go good with some wings and a Coke. And my wife, I said, honey, should we order some wings? And she's like, we just ate. I'm not even hungry. I was like, but that, what, is, what does eating wings have to do with being hungry? This is a good opportunity. I didn't, I'm just saying, do you want some wings? And so I eat. I'm a social eater. I eat all the time. Like, I got some time on hand. Let me go get something to eat. That, that's who I am. So I get it. When we talk about fasting, some of you are like, that dude is crazy. Well, here's what I want to do today. Do you recognize that Scripture mentions fasting about 92 times? Think about that. You think God was trying to make a point about fasting? And in fact, most of the times, hear, hear me what I say, most of the time, just about every time you see fasting in Old Testament, it's usually tied when a person has come to the end of their rope. It's a time of spiritual crisis, and they've, they've hit the wall. They've hit a mountain they cannot move. Therefore, they, they are in a spiritual crisis, and they seek God's face. 
Other times in Scripture, and you'll see this in, in the New Testament, people, people fast in order to get direction from God, to get clarity, to get wisdom. They fast in preparation. I'm speaking of this morning specifically fasting for a spiritual need. If you ever have needed a spiritual breakthrough today, this may be... I'm talking about the marriage in here today that's saying, listen, we just can't see eye to eye. We paid hundreds of dollars to get our marriage right, and it's just not working. I I don't know what else to do. Have you fasted? I'm talking about the parent who's saying, listen, we raised our children in the church. For some reason, they have gone astray and they're backsliding, and it's terrifying me. Have you tried fasting? It's the, the single who is saying, listen, I, I am so sick and tired of being single, and in fact, I give myself out to anybody who just asks me on a date, and I have lowered my standards because I'm sick and tired of waiting on God. Have you fasted? Uh, To the person who says, hey, listen, man, I go to Bible study, I read scripture, I do everything, I come to service, but nothing spiritually seems to be filling my cup. Pastor, I love you, but you're not doing it for me. You're not deep enough for me. Have you fasted? To the person who says, hey, listen, I am incredibly depressed. I'm addicted to drugs. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop using drugs. This is something that has a hold of my life. Have you fasted? To the person who is saying, listen, I love the Lord, and I feel incredibly guilty when this happens, but pornography just has a grip on me, and maybe I have seasons where I'm not looking at it, but for some reason I jump back into it, and I feel horrible to myself. I feel horrible to even reach out to God. Why should he respond to me? By the way, stats say that probably 80% of people in the church struggle with it, 33% of those being women in the seats. Why do I mention it? Because it's such a stronghold in our culture. Have you tried fasting? To the person who, who can't figure out their purpose in life, and maybe you don't even know what God wants out of your career, and you're just stuck, have you tried fasting? Most of the time in the Old Testament, they begin to fast when their resources just can't take them any further. Their skills, their giftings just can't take them any further. It's almost as if God intentionally puts them in a position to say, are you tired of doing it by yourself and being self-sufficient, and are you ready to look at me? Are you ready to look at me? That's what he does throughout Scripture. And it's not God punishing them. It's God's grace drawing them. you got to get that right. Many people fast with open hands. I'm going to challenge us to fast with an open heart. You can't manipulate God and say, I'm going to fast, therefore, by the end of my 21 days, you better answer this. Because God may say, you can fast, and the end of your 21 days, you better listen to this. Because what you need more than anything else is not a physical need. You need a spiritual need. You need the tangible. You need the spiritual more than you need the tangible. So we're going to go through a 21-day fast. If I had to define fast, if you're taking notes, here's the easiest way I would define this. It's denying physical wants in order to meet spiritual needs. That's the easiest way I would give it to you. Denying physical wants in order to meet spiritual needs. Now, you may ask the question, when do we fast? What if I am great with God right now and I don't have a need? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much perfect. I don't know what else to tell you, Pastor. 
Well, what I would tell you is you're probably the person in school who never had a study and made an A on your test while guys like me had a study and was happy to make a C on my test. Let me go tell you, no one really likes you, to be honest with you. Your mom's lying to you, your dad's lying to you, and your spouse is lying to you. You don't have many friends. I'm joking. Kind of. But when do you fast? When do you fast? Here's what I would tell us, and I really do believe that it should land on all of our hearts this morning. Those in the chapel who are listening, those who are listening online, this should speak to every single one of us. By the way, when Jesus in Matthew 6 says, when you fast, not if you fast, he uses the word when you fast with the assumption that Christians will partake in fasting as part of their natural spiritual discipline. When you fast. So here's what I would tell you. If you were in here and you have a deep-seated need in here today, I mean, you, you, are, you have something that only God can, can fulfill. I mean, this is you, what you're bringing to the plate this morning. You're saying this is only going to take a miracle of God. I'm talking about Sarah and Abraham stuff. Like, uh, there's no way I'm getting pregnant. There's no way I'm parting this Red Sea. I mean, it's like God has placed you in a position specifically to let you know that you can't part the Red Sea, that only he can. And when he does, you won't forget who did it. So for the person who has a deep desire and need that's overtaken your life, I would say you probably need to fast. For the person here who says, I really don't have one, here's what I would tell you. You probably have someone around you who does have one. Do it for them. Do it for them. For that loved one who's lost and dying and going to hell forever, doesn't that bother your soul to know that people we love are self-destructive? Literally self-destructive. And people we know are dying and going to hell fast for them. How bad do you want it? I mean, it has to be to the point of desperation. you got to be desperate when you fast you got to want the spiritual more than you want the physical. That's what fasting is. How bad do you want to hear from God? We take drastic measures to sin. Will you take drastic measures to be sanctified? How bad do you want to hear the voice of God? Now hear me clearly. This is not a prosperity gospel church, nor is it a poverty gospel church. It's a reality spiritually, biblically, Preaching truth, gospel church. So here's what I will tell you. I don't want to give anyone in here false promises and say, if you do this, this will happen. Because I'm going to be real with you. Many of you will have prayer requests, and God won't answer those at the end of 21 days. But I've never had a fast in my life where he's answered everything. In fact, one time it took my wife and I have our answered prayer eight years later. I didn't fast for eight years now. Eight years of seeking God's face. How bad do you want to hear from God? I want us to start with this. If, if you're a person in here who has a desperate need, I want you to start from the place, place of desperation. If you're a person in here who has no need, but you know someone who has a need, start from a place of desperation. I want you to listen 
to Psalm 69. We normally don't do topical sermons here, but we're going to jump around Scripture. Listen to Psalm 69. I just want you to, you'll see it on here, but I want you to listen. Listen to to David. Listen to his heart. He's pouring out to God. Just listen, because you'll relate to this. Listen, it's his journal inside of his heart of a sinner saved by the grace of God. Listen to what he writes. And by the way, many of you do not know David, never heard it, or you don't know where to find Psalm 79. That, that's okay. I just want you to hear it. This man was a man who loved God, but it was a man who sinned greatly. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer, but he loved God. Listen to what he's putting in his journal. More than likely, closely after he, he committed all this sin and, and committed adultery, then committed murder. Listen. And you can almost hear the agony of him writing this down. Save me, oh God, for the waters have come up to my neck. <laughs> Save me, God, the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. Well, what is he saying, God? I feel like I'm in the place of my life where, where I'm drowning in life. In fact, I feel like I'm drowning and I'm pedaling my feet in the water and there's nothing to put my feet on to give me more leverage outside this. I just feel like I'm sinking, God. You ever been there? Does it get any more real than this? God, oh God, I love you and I've sought you. He just saved me, I'm sinking. There is no foothold. I've come into deep waters where I I can no longer swim, and the flood sweeps over me. So not only does he feel like he's he's drowning, the the water is is rising, but now he can't even place his foot on anything. There is no foothold, and every once in a while, he feels like the waters begin to really hit his face where he feels like he's barely (sighs) breathing. He barely got a breath. Then look, look, look what he says. Have you ever been here? Look at verse 3. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. What is he saying? I'm so tired of calling on your name that my throat is parched. I'm so so weary and I'm so tired of crying because I don't have any more tears to shed. My tear ducts are dry. You ever been there? I mean, this is the place of desperation that David is talking about. I'm just done. I'm tired. My eyes grow dim from waiting on you. I'm so tired, God, of hearing about how great you are. I'm so tired of hearing about how everybody else's prayers are getting answered. I'm so tired of not being able to have children, and everybody else around me keeps keeps parading about their pregnancies. I'm so sick of Father's Day knowing I don't have one, and he walked out on me, and I don't know why. I'm so sick of Mother's Day because it reminds me of my mom who walked out, and it reminds me of the abortion that I had, and I should have had my child sitting right next to me, and I hate this day. Can anybody relate to that? I'm tired of this. I'm trying to be faithful, but I'm tired of this, God. And listen to this. Verse 4. More in number than the hairs of my head. 
For some of us, that's easier than others to count. Listen, are those who hate me without cause? Here's what he's saying here. I don't know. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to love people, God. I'm trying to do the right thing. I know I had some sins in my past. I know I messed up, but I'm trying to be faithful. And every time I come across someone, they just don't like me. And I don't know why they don't like me, God. They talk about me. They give me the cold shoulder. They give me that eye. They give me that look. They, they, they talk about me out loud. They want me to know they don't like me by the limp handshake they give me. They're so bold that they'll give me a handshake in, in, in public and talk about me in private. And, put, and then they want to put it on Facebook. God, I don't get it. It seems like everything I touch, it breaks and I mess it up. God, more than the hairs of my head, I have people who cannot stand my guts, and I don't know why, God. So not only am I tired of waiting on you, but I don't even have a friend to talk to. No one. I mean, he's getting straight to his soul. Listen, mighty are those who would destroy me. Those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore. Listen to this confession. Look at verse 5. Listen. Listen. Oh God, you know my folly. What is he saying? I have confessed. Psalm 32 tells us that, by the way. I have confessed everything in my life. When I cheated on my wife, I I was broken, and I told you I was sorry, God. Then when I committed murder, God, I told you I was sorry, and I was wrong. God, you know everything. I've confessed everything that I had in my closet to you, God. Everything. It's out in the open. And the wrongs that I've done are not hidden from you. I've confessed it all. Now, verse 6, he begins to be afraid of of how is everybody else seeing God because of the way his life is going. I get this right here. Verse 6, I get this. I get it. Let me keep it together for those who need me to be strong. You ever felt that way? As you don't even deal with your own mess and all you keep doing is suppressing, 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 suppressing. Let me just tell you, if you're one of those people, because I am, I keep suppressing my own heartache, my own mess, that, that it gets higher and higher and higher and eventually you will explode. Just a matter of time. And so here he begins to say in verse 6, Let not those whose hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord, God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and alien to my mother's. Sons. This guy's much deeper than just a friend. He's saying, now I don't even have family. God has allowed him to be in the most empty position that anyone could ever want to be. Where nothing tangible, not even a friend, is around him. In fact, he can't even hear the voice of God, and he's tired and sick of it. Listen to this, verse 8. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Listen to this. Talk about fasting. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting. What is fasting? There it is right there. 
It's humbling yourself and saying, God, I can't do it. My wayward child, I can't bring them back to you, God. My cancer, I can't do it. Changing my spouse, I have tried everything. I've even exchanged them a couple of times. (laughs) And yet I find myself in the same position. God, I can't do it. I can't. So now he is in the place of humility. What they would do in the Old Testament, um, you will often see Esther, Nehemiah. Thank you, Vanna White. My wife. The young buck's like, who, Vanna, who? Who did he say? I thought his wife was Clancy. Fasting in the Old Testament more times than not is associated with praying. You'll see these three words together a lot. Praying, fasting, and mourning. They're just so broken. And what they do is they humble themselves. They take themselves in a position to where their heart is vulnerable to hear from God. So here's what they do. They put on a sackcloth that looks really very similar to this, and theirs has a hood attached to it, that's made out of goat hair. That's not very comfortable. They then put this on so, so everyone can publicly see, I'm in mourning and I need God. Then what they do is they begin to put ashes all around them. And some might put it on their arms, but they put it on their head. By the way, when you think of Ash Wednesday, it's to let the crosses on there so that people can know they are fasting. We don't do that in the Baptist church, but, but it, it's, it's from the Bible, obviously. So now they have ashes to show I am in mourning and I am in desperate need of God to come through. The reason why they would wear this, can you imagine wearing this to school? Some of you college students, GCU. Like you, want, you want to stay single? This is a good way to do it right here. <laughs> this is, got one available right here. But they would intentionally self-humiliate themselves by putting this on. I say, I am lowly and I am in need. And I want everyone to know. Not out of arrogance. The Pharisees, by the way, fasted on Mondays and Thursdays, the busiest times of the week where everyone would come into the market and they would fast so that everyone can visibly see how, how godly they were. This is not what David is talking about here. He wanted everyone to see how broken he was. They all did in the Old Testament. When it was with a pure motive, they said, look how broken that I am. And he says, when I wept and humbled my soul with fasting... What is the soul, by the way? We have spirit, soul, and body. Spirit communicates with God. Soul is how we communicate with our personality. It's with ourselves. And then you have body, which is how you communicate with your environment. And what he is saying was, not my spirit was necessarily broken, but my soul, who I was, was broken and humbled. Then he says, so, so he fasted. It became my reproach when I made sackcloth for my clothing, which I just showed you. I became a byword to them. 
I am the talk of those who sit in the gates and the drunkards made songs about me. So now he's saying, like, I'm so broken that even those who are drunks don't have anything going for them even make fun of me. Like, how much lower does it have to get here, God? And, and so you think about fasting, it is tied to this desperation where, God, I need you to come through. And listen to what he says. But as for me, my prayer is to you. So, God, they're talking and it hurts. God, the drunks are making fun of me and it hurts. God, my friends are even talking about me and it hurts. God, my family doesn't even want to be around me and it hurts. But here's what he says. But you know what, God? I am not seeking them. I am not looking to them for deliverance. I'm not even praying to them. I'm not asking them for permission. Here's what he says in this next verse, verse 13. But as for me, my prayer is to you. As for me, if I am going to be delivered, I'm not even going to the pastor of the church because he doesn't have the power to deliver me from the stuff that I'm dealing with. As for me, I'm going to you. I'm going to bypass my spouse. I'm going to bypass my girlfriend, boyfriend, best friend, coworker, the pastor in the church, and I need you to deliver me from only what you can deliver me. I'm going to you. That's what David says here. I am so broken that even the pastor and his little doctor can't save me. Good. Because you don't need to fill my hand. You need a touch of God's hand on your life. My touch you will forget. God's you will never forget his touch. Listen to this. It gets much better. That's why I love the word of God. Listen to this. Listen to this. Ah, he's so good. And he's so mature about it too. At an acceptable time, God. <laughs> Listen to what he's saying. I don't have any more tear ducts. Everybody's talking. I, I can't even. I'm sick of waiting on you. I'm depressed. I don't want to live. But when you're ready, whatever you see acceptable, God. What? See, most of us treat God like a fast food God. We want a drive through meal from Him. We need it and we need it quick. Give me the number one, the number two, and number three. And God, if you don't mind, can you supersize that too, please? Thank you. I'll be back when I need something else. See, God has broken him in this moment, so he can't treat God like a fast food God. God is forcing him to sit and dine with him. I'm going to make you sit down and look at me eye to eye and speak to me about your needs. And I'm going to listen. I'll even light a candle for you if you want me to. And there won't be any more chairs around this table. It's God and it's you. Now sit, my son and daughter, and bear your soul to me. What do you need? What do you want? So, so picture them sitting down and David says, okay, well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Cause, woof, I need this, I need this, I need this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. But God, whenever you're ready to answer those things, can you imagine, for those of you who are single, I know what that's like. You know, for them, let me speak to just the single people, because I am so afraid of, of the way society has made us view singleness and singlehood, even for those who are Christians. Like, if you're single, something's wrong with you. 
We got two or three who felt that one in here. <laughs> Y'all didn't hear up there. They said, mmm. I've been preaching the Word of God the entire time. When I talked about singleness, and now I'm listening, Pastor. By the time he's preaching, what do you got to say about singleness? Uh, let me speak to you for a second, single people. You ever thought maybe you're single? I was going to say single for a reason, but some of you are like, yeah, I know a lot of people are single for a reason. No, no, no. But I mean, maybe you're single for a spiritual reason. Maybe you are the half-baked cake in the oven, and if God pulls you out too early, he knows you'll just decay from the inside out and just... <laughs> See, if the God, God is the master baker, he knows exactly when you're ready. So stop it. Stop thinking that life revolves around you being married and then life will be better. Because maybe God is saying, once you learn how to fall in love with me, once you learn that this is all you need, then this is just an extra blessing. Some of you in here think that once God has delivered your spouse, then you have arrived. No, no, no. You just began. Because God will show you how much work that you have that needs to be done in you through your spouse. And I don't mean that something is wrong with your spouse. I mean something is wrong with you. And so maybe God is saying, I see your heart and I see your desire. But, but if you get married now, you will only replicate the cycle that you saw in your household. And I know you have the one-to to make it better, but the reality is you don't have the how-to just yet. So stop running ahead of me and let me guide you and protect you. Because I know where you live. I know your email address. I know your phone number. I know everything about you. And when I need a spouse to come in your direction, I know how to bring them. Some of y'all are chasing the wrong things. I remember August 2nd, 2009. I never forget the date. August 2nd, 2009. That was my birthday. I'm living in San Francisco, and a couple of friends said, hey, there's this new girl in town. You mind if she comes to your birthday party? Yeah, sure. And at this point in seminary, the bachelor's a little slim picking. So it's just, uh... <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'm 28. I'm never going to get married. I might as well wear a sackcloth on my life and ashes on my head. <laughs> Bring whoever you want. And then my wife walks in. Hey, the Lord is my shepherd. He knows what I need. She walked in. At this point, I I have been pure. I've been waiting on God. I wasn't on on Tinder and nothing like that. I mean, I just wasn't doing that. I wasn't going to throw myself away and give my my wife half the package of the candy. I want to be sure she had the full thing unopened. And she walks in and was like, my Lord, my Lord. And, and I'll never forget. I'm, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know what's going on around me because I'm so zoned in on this beautiful woman of God. And then she, like, gets the guitar and starts, like, singing some songs. I'm like, what? Like, did you know I want to be a pastor? Because you can be my worship leader. Um, 
And, and, and I'll never forget, like, I, did, I didn't have the courage to, I'm not going to lie, like, I didn't have the courage, I was so, I'm going to be honest, I was so insecure at this point because I knew my background, you know, I dabbled in gangs and in drugs and sexual morality, and I thought, no one's going to want me. And then I was balding, I was like, man, I, you got a cul-de-sac at the age of 28, ain't no one going to want you. And so <laughs> I was really insecure, and, um, and I couldn't ask her for her number. And then, and then she left, and um, so I went to her friend. I said, hey, uh, what was your friend's name? I knew what her friend's name was. I said, what was your friend's name that was there? He said, well, her name was Clancy. Um, and then her friend had a little crush on me, and she was being a hater. And I said, hey, can I, you, do you mind? <laughs> Just being honest. Like, I, said, hey, I said, hey, do you mind if, if I get her number? Because I, I heard she is new to the area, and, well, I can help her move into her apartment. Um, and, and she was like, oh, I don't know if she'll like that. I was like, it's me. It's me. How harmless am I? And so I finally got my wife's number at the point. And so I, sent it, I wasn't even bold enough to call. I sent my wife a text. Hey, it's me, Noe. You came to my birthday party. In case you, I'm just the only Hispanic guy in the room. Remember me? And, and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I sent her a text. And like, you know how you can see it says delivered in red? Well, delivered in red. And I didn't hear nothing, nothing back. No, the Lord said, faith without action is dead, so I'm going to move forward. And so, and so then I, I just I, I waited a week, didn't hear back, that I give her some time. Maybe she's busy. But after a week, fellas, if they're not responding, they probably don't want you. But I, I went ahead and called. I was so nervous, and it went to voicemail. I was like, Whew. So I left a voicemail, and I said, um, hey, it's Noe. I just heard you're moving, and I, you know, if you need help, please let me know. If not, no biggie. Played it cool. And she didn't respond. Two weeks later, I'm like, golly. And I knew, like, some of those other dudes who were not as cool, but they had more hair than me, and they were further <laughs> along in life. I was like, I know they're going to put the full court press on her, so i got to move faster than I usually move. And so I was like, let me call one more time. And like, three times is stalkerish. Four times you stop it. But three times <laughs> I called. And so I called, and I, nothing. So I didn't leave a voicemail. And then she called back, and I saw the phone ring, like, oh, my God, I got nervous. Do I wait for one ring? Do I wait for two rings? One ring's, you know, one ring's too desperate. Two rings is like, maybe I was waiting on it. Three rings, like, oh, I didn't know you called. I, so, so I waited for a couple of rings. I picked it up, and I'm like, oh, who's this? Oh, hey, Clancy. And, and I was hey, I heard you're moving. Would you need some help? And you're, no biggie if you don't. I know you don't know me. And she says, well, yeah, actually, this weekend, if, if you're free. And um, so I got so excited, and, and so I remember, I said, all right, tell me where to go. And so we got to go to the front store to get something, and I pull up, and I had like this old white Volvo that, that I mean, it surprised me when it started at times, and, <laughs> and I remember pulling up, and I get out, and she looks at me, looks at the car, and is like, well, what did you expect to move? I'm like looking at my Volvo like it was too small, and I was like, well, I was hoping to move your heart. And uh, the, the, I didn't say it, but I should have, but I was thinking it. I was thinking it. I, I was thinking it. Um, yeah, I didn't know y'all's pastor had game. Huh? And... Uh, and, and I just, I, I pursued her, and, and she deserved to be pursued, and I, I pursued her heart, and I was like, man, I, I just, I, you know, it's, it's amazing when there's something you really want, you'll go to drastic measures. You'll even, when you're in love, you'll, you'll allow yourself to look like a fool. 
when you want it bad enough, right? Like it. Listen, what are you willing to do to pursue the heart of God? How far are you willing to go? How many times are you willing to go to the heart of God and knock on the door until he answers, God, I'm here. God, I need you. God, I need to hear from you. God, please, if you don't come through, God. How bad do you want it? What are you willing to do? You know what's amazing about our God? He wanted you so badly. And he wanted to be in relationship so badly that he sacrificed something for you. He gave his son so that he can pursue your heart through his son. He sacrificed his son so he can pursue your heart. That's how badly he wanted you. That Christ humbled himself. God humbled himself and came on the earth in flesh Named himself Jesus. Put himself on the cross for humanity. He humbled himself so he can pursue you. Are you willing to humble yourself so you can pursue him? How far are you willing to go to pursue the heart of God? Let's pray together.